Happy Good Friday. I, I think it's not supposed to be happy. This is Good Friday. Um, Good Friday is supposed to be not happy. I remember as a child during the Good Friday time in my home village in, uh, in Chebi, you would see they would, um, they would do a mock crucifixion. It was horrible. And you see the guy marching through the, the, the town as they were whipping him and beating him. I mean, some people have faith. I mean, <laughs> you'd really need the Holy Ghost for me to get anywhere near something like that. And they would do it. And uh, it was a very sober time. Um, but then we came to have understanding about what this really involves. And we are grateful to the Lord Jesus. Why don't we pray and ask the Lord to speak to us through his word. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Father, thank you for the privilege that we have to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, today we ask that you will speak to us, continue to empower us as you've been leading us. Amen. Just so that you understand, I'm standing here because of the projector. It's not an Easter a good um, thing why I'm standing here. It's because of the projector so that it's not, in, it's not disturbing you as you see what's on the screen. All right. So we are going to continue our teaching on healing. As I've been waiting on the Lord, because this is a Good Friday service, we want to tie it into what we have been learning about healing. But nonetheless, we're going to continue to look at healing. And today we're looking at the healing ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. The healing ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, remembering the context that we are celebrating um, the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus during this Easter season. Now, we know that our Lord did not die today. You know, we don't exactly know when, but it was around the Jewish Passover time. So, if you want to know when the Lord died, it was around the Jewish Passover time. That's when he actually died. Uh, and we also know that the Roman church changed things um, and kind of merged uh, um, the Christian festival of celebrating the resurrection of our Lord with uh, pagan festivals. Um, and the name Easter comes from um, the a pagan goddess, Ishtar. Um, and so we know that. So somebody will say, so why are we doing this? So why do we even celebrate Easter? Well, for us as a church, about three years ago, the Holy Spirit said to me, I want your church to honor me on Easter, during the Easter seasons and during the Chris Christmas seasons. I want your church to honor me in that. And as Christians, whenever we have the opportunity to promote our faith, when the world wants to commercialize it, we can redeem it. So we don't have to apologize for celebrating our faith. But it is important that we do it with understanding. Amen. All right, so we're going to talk about the healing ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, especially within the context of what he has done for us. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 and 5. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes... We are healed. Just for some context, if you are joining us today for the first time, we have been looking at the subject of divine healing. And we are saying that divine healing is a supernatural intervention of the power of God 
that will result in restoring somebody's health to God's original intention or the original state God intended or to a better state than it was before he intervened. And we talked about the reality of the different aspects of healing and the fact that God's heart is to bring healing to his people. We talked about the purpose of healing. That was, it was to bring glory to God. It was to destroy the works of the devil. It was to contribute towards the process of wholeness in an individual and so forth. We talked about the will of God and our healing. Does God want to heal us? Well, from scriptures, it is clear that God always wants to heal his people. That does not mean that God will always heal his people. God always wants to heal his people. It's not the same as God will always heal his people. We learn that healing is in the very nature of God. And that one of his names is Jehovah Rapha or Yahweh Rapha, which is the Lord who heals. Or Yahweh who cures or brings wholeness and mends. We also learn that God promises to heal us of all our diseases in the same way he promises to forgive all our iniquities. We also have recognized, and that's what we're going to dwell on today, that he has made provision for our healing through the atonement of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, when the Lord died on the cross, one of the things he purchased for us was healing. He, we also learned that he promises to keep his obedient children in divine health. He promises to keep his obedient children in divine health. And number five, we also learned that he declares his will for us to be in health even as our soul prospers. In other words, God wants us to not just be in health, but to be in health because we are spiritually well. Amen. And then last week, again, we touched on why people fall sick, uh, or, or not last week, on Sunday, and we touched on why people fall sick, and we went through a whole list of reasons. And I don't want to go there today because of time, but what I want us to look at is the healing ministry of our Lord Jesus. In other words, when the Lord came on the earth, how he administrated healing, or the fact that he ministered healing, and what he did on the cross, and then what he continues to do today. The scripture we read, Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, says that our Lord has borne our griefs. That word grief in the Hebrew is literally sicknesses, diseases, um, calamities, um, distresses. So any sicknesses, any diseases, any calamities and so forth, our Lord Jesus took it upon himself. He took it upon himself whilst he was on earth ministering to people. And more importantly, he took it upon himself on the cross. He says he has carried, he has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows. That word sorrows is anguish, affliction, pain, grief. So again, he has carried that. And then it says that, he says uh, that by his stripes we are healed. By the whips that he received, we are made whole. All right. Now, Again, another scripture I want to point out about our Lord Jesus. Anytime you're looking at any subject, you must look at what Jesus did. Because in the church today, and even in your own experiences, you're going to go through things, and uh, you're going to rationalize what you go through with your experiences. And I see many believers do this. Sometimes believers pray, and because they don't see results, and they don't see God's power, they will rationalize that maybe it is not God's will 
to do such and such. But we re read in Hebrews 13, 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. So whatever he did in the past, he continues to do in the present and will continue to do forever. And so whatever he did in the days of his flesh, we can learn his heart or the heart of God and what he continues to do through his church. Also, Acts chapter 10, 38 tells us how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. So when we are looking at our Lord, let's examine it from the context of what he did. First thing I want us to look at is his attitude, our Lord Jesus' attitude towards sicknesses, healing, and diseases. First point is this. He healed all who came to him. He healed all who came to him. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, it says this. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Matthew chapter 9, I just want to go through these scriptures just to give you an understanding of our Lord. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. There are many scriptures you find each time he healed them all. He healed them all. Secondly, he had compassion on those who were afflicted. Our Lord didn't just heal people. He felt for people. He felt the pain that people go through. He sees the distresses that we go through. He sees the affliction that we go through. The scripture says he was afflicted, strict, smitten, stricken of God. He was stricken of God. Our Lord knows what it's like to feel victimized. More than that, he became God's enemy when he went on the cross. When he died on the cross, he became sin, the Bible says, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So he has compassion on those who are afflicted. Make no mistake, whatever pain you feel for someone, our Lord feels it ad infinitum. You may not think so, but he does. In Matthew 14, 14. Now, you see, the reason why this is important is that just because he had the power to intervene, and to change circumstances did not mean he didn't feel what people were going through. In Matthew 14, 14, it's an example. It says, and Jesus went out, and, and when Jesus went out, sorry, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. He was moved with compassion and healed their sick. Hebrews chapter 4. Verses 15 and 16. This is one of my favorite scriptures that has helped me through the years. It says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy 
and find grace to help in time of need. Beloved, we have a high priest who sympathizes with us in whatever we're going through, whatever pain you're going through. So as we teach about healing, you know, I hadn't planned to teach on healing. But throughout the, um, the early parts of this year, as we've been praying and so forth, I felt it so strong. It's as if the Holy Spirit wants to give us the tools to help us begin to deal with issues that we face in our life. Listen, he feels what we are going through. He feels your pain. He knows what it's like. We have a high priest who sympathizes with all our weaknesses, and it includes our sicknesses and diseases. He was tempted in all points as we are, yet there was no sin. Beloved, when you are going through something and it feels like God does not care about you, remember this, our Lord Jesus was tempted in all points just as you are, but he never yielded to the enemy's temptation, yet without sin. And because of that, he says we should come boldly, with confidence, to the throne of grace. For us in this dispensation, it's a throne of grace. It's a throne of grace. It means this. It's a throne upon which God says, our Lord says, whereby when we ask him for something, he gives to us what we don't deserve. He gives us good things, blessings that we don't deserve. Whenever we ask him for something, when we approach the throne of grace, it is a throne that says, I will give to you what you don't deserve. And from that throne, he says, we obtain mercy. The first thing we obtain from the throne is mercy. Mercy is this. When you deserve to be punished for something, but instead you're shown kindness. And then grace is this. When you are given the ability or the favor or the blessing to do something that is beyond what you've merited. You are given things that you don't deserve. We receive mercy and receive grace. And beloved, healing is the children's bread, as we've learned. Healing belongs to the children of God. Healing belongs to you. Healing belongs to me. And as we're going to learn today and also on Sunday, what our Lord has done is not just that we receive healing, but we also administrate healing. Another thing about the Lord is this. He responded, or he always responded to faith when it comes to healing. He always responded to faith. In Matthew chapter 9, one example, verses 27 to 30. I'm not sure if this is, this is in your note. Matthew 9, 27 to 30, if you're making notes, it says this. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, let it be to you. According to your faith, let it be to you. And, and their eyes were open. And Jesus sternly warned them, saying, see that no one knows it. Now, he always responded to faith. It does not mean that the only people who were healed were people who had faith. No, 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 no. There are many ways in which the Spirit of God heals or our Lord Jesus administrated healing. As we learn about it, other times we'll see. But what I want you to understand is that he always responded to faith. Listen, I've seen God heal people who never believed. 
I've seen God heal, intervene in circumstances. And after, when, when, when I'm praying for them, when we're praying, they're like, whatever. I'm in pain right now. But they will indulge me. Go on then, go on, go on, go on. And then as we prayed and as they're getting healed, you, you see them light up. It's like, huh, whoa, the thing is going. Oh, my goodness. Wow, they're surprised. And, of course, I'm also surprised. <clears throat> but the point is, is that there are times when God will minister to people even when they don't have faith. It depends who's carrying them, you see. It depends who's carrying them. That's the point. However, he always responds to faith. In Hebrews 11:6, it says, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a reward of those who diligently seek him. Now, when we say this, some people feel like it's a, it means that it's their fault. No, I want you to see it differently. He always responds to faith. What is faith? It is being convinced that God is true and that what he says he will do, he will do. It's being convinced, being persuaded. So he always responds to those who are persuaded about what he has to say. He always responds to it. Can you say amen, somebody? Amen. And uh, you will see in the scriptures. And in this context, he said to them, do you believe I am able to do this? They said yes. And then he said, according to your faith, let it be to you. I don't know if you remember the, the story of the ten lepers. They came to the Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And he said, go and show yourself to the priest. As they went to show themselves to the priest, they were healed. But then one of them came back who was a Gentile or a non-Jewish person. And our Lord said, my, 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 were there not ten who were here? How comes only this Gentile has come back? He expected gratitude. And then he said, go, your faith has made you whole. Now what you have to understand is that even though those lepers were healed, because they did not have faith in Jesus, but rather faith in legalism, they weren't made whole. They were healed of leprosy, but they weren't made whole. And there's a big difference. You can be healed of something, but you need to be made whole. You see, you're healed of one thing, but if you're not made whole, the enemy can have access into another area of your life. And so the point I want to make is this, is that you must see your faith as an asset. Say, my faith is an asset. Yeah, your faith is an asset. And we'll be, I pray that we'll be teaching more as we teach this more. It will help you so that your faith will make it very easy for you to see the healing power of God in your life and through your life. Amen. All right. So, these are some of the things. Now, there's many more. And in my little booklet that is coming out soon, I give um, many more things. Amen. But uh, for this purpose of this simple service, let's move on. So, our Lord Jesus... Um, this is some of his ways towards, his attitude towards um, sicknesses and diseases. He will always respond to faith. He had compassion on those who were afflicted. And he healed all who came to him. Now, our Lord Jesus' healing ministry was evident before the cross. I want you to turn to uh, Matthew chapter 8. Again, this is on your notes. Matthew 8, verses 16 and 17. And before Jesus went on the cross... We see in the Gospels that he healed people. He healed all kinds. He ministered in different ways. But I want you to see something about why he was doing it. Matthew chapter 8, verse 16 and 17 says, When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. 
and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Now, remember, we read this verse earlier on. But I want you to see here that um, Matthew the apostle is linking his healing ministry to what he finally does on the cross, the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. And that as the Lord was ministering healing to people, it's like he was taking their sicknesses upon himself. He was doing it because he was identifying with them and taking the sicknesses upon himself and carrying their sorrows and their pain. So in his earthly physical body, as he ministered as a man, anytime he was doing that, he was identifying with us and taking upon himself what was wrong with us. Other scriptures we see of our Lord's healing ministry right through the scriptures. We don't have time. And then you see that when our Lord would minister to people, he says he ministered to them with a word. Sometimes he will speak a word and they'll be healed. Sometimes in other places we don't have time, he will lay hands on people and they'll be healed. Other times he would, he would do something with um, nature. Uh, one day he spat on the ground took some mud, spot on it, mix it, put it on the person's eyes, and then told them, go and wash in water. Now, I wonder how many of you, would, if you had something wrong with you, and I spat on the ground, mixed it, and put it on your face. I said, now go to the Thames. <laughs> I, I think we might get sued for um, um, something. But uh, our Lord did all kinds of things. He also, part of his healing ministry was that he cast out demons. He also operated through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So when, at times, he would be just moving about and someone would touch him, he wasn't even aware, and they would get healed because their faith would pull things out of him. Other times, people, because of his presence, they would just touch him and they would be getting healed. It's a part of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, by the grace of God, I've seen in a little way, sometimes when the gifts operate through different ones, People are getting healed, and they're not even aware of it. And that's what happens. He also, like I said, responded to the faith of others. He even ministered to people who were not qualified to receive healing, like we learned in the first of our teaching. So during his, his earthly ministry, before he went on the cross, he had a very vibrant healing ministry. And then we look, let's look at his healing ministry on the cross. When he went on the cross... Because, you see, this is the most significant achievement of God. See, all of creation is powerful. He did it in six days. Just spoke him. In fact, God, the, the mystery to me is, why six days? He could have done it in six nanoseconds. There's a levering and it's this, bam, and then it's done. But he chose to do it sequentially. You find that in Job 26, verses 6 to 14, Job is narrating about God. And I want to read it. Again, these are not in your notes. But I want to read it just to give you an idea about how powerful God is. But when it comes to the cross, the comparison. He says, Sheol or Hades or hell is naked before him. And destruction has no covering. In other words, the realm of the dead. God sees everything. Now, if you, when you read that, you don't have a clue. Hades is huge. It's huge. It's ever-growing. The realm of the dead, it's like he sees it. it. He sees everything that's going on there. 
Verse 7, he stretches out the north over empty space. You know what he's saying? He says, he stretches out the sky, the horizon over empty space. Now, how on earth did they know that the north was in empty space? I mean, we know it now. We just have to look. You can see the earth in space. He binds up the water in his thick clouds, yet the clouds are not broken under it. He covers the face of his throne and spreads his cloud over it. He drew a circular horizon on the face of the waters. Again, how on earth did they know that? That the earth was in a circular horizon. At the boundary of light and darkness, the pillars of heaven tremble and are astonished at his rebuke. He stirs up the sea with his power and by his understanding he breaks up the storm. By his spirit he adorned the heavens. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Now look at 14. Indeed. These are the mere edges of his ways. And how small a whisper we hear of him. And that was these amazing things. They say nothing about how powerful he is. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? The thunder of his power, who can understand? The thunder of his power, who can understand? So in the next 15 minutes that I have left, I want to bring this to a conclusion. The thunder of his power, who can understand? That word there is showing us this, is that when it comes to creation, God's power is very, very easily displayed. But the thunder, or in other words, when God has to put in an effort, you have no idea. And the cross is the effort of God. The cross is where it took if, if, if this is, doesn't sound blasphemous, it took everything out of him. Because God became a man and was killed. The mystery of the incarnation is that God left heaven but never left. God died but continues to ever live. Our Lord says, no man has ascended to heaven. But he who came down from heaven. Even the son of man who is in heaven. So, I came down, but I never left. Deal with that. So, <laughs> so God became a man in order to redeem humanity from every aspect of its fall when Adam sinned. And it included our redemption from the consequences of death, which are disease, sicknesses, and weaknesses. And when God did what he did on the cross, beloved, it was not a simple thing. You know, on the cross, for the first time in reality, the son and the father were separated. This is another mystery. It doesn't, it, 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 we can't understand it, but it happened on the cross. And so our Lord did this by, number one, redeeming us. When he went on the cross, what he did was he redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse. In other words, our Lord, because of the law, which is the Torah and what's in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, um, especially those things in there, and all the requirements there, which really means everybody is condemned. He made sure there was no legal basis upon which we can be sick. 
and upon which we can be condemned. Galatians chapter 3, 13 and 14 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So whatever Abraham had as a child of faith or as a man of faith, we now have because of Christ. And our Lord did that on the cross by becoming a curse. So the blessings of Abraham, which are spiritual, solical, physical, and every other aspect of life, became ours. Second point is this. By the cross, he redeemed us from every spiritual and legal requirement that enabled Satan and death to have access and dominion over us through sin. By the cross, not only did he cancel the obligations of the law on, on humanity, but he also canceled the legal and spiritual right that Satan had over every human soul because of sin. The Bible makes it clear all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. But Romans 6.14 says this, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And by virtue of the cross, we enter the realm of grace, being empowered to do what our natural ability cannot do, being empowered to receive what does not belong to us, naturally speaking, being empowered to be blessed when really we should be cursed. First John 3, 8 says this, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Colossians 2, 14 onwards. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. There were all kinds of requirements that were against you and I. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Listen, on the cross is where he defeated Satan, not in Hades. It was on the cross he whipped them. This was the mystery that was hidden. That he said, had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. It was on the cross. Now, some people teach that after he died on the cross, he then went to Hades and fought to Satan and took the keys of No, 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 no. After he descended to hell, he enforced his victory. He had won. They, they, it wasn't a fair fight. There was no fight. There was no fight. Just get in line and move on. If you've ever seen um, these Roman films, when they beat an enemy, they take them through Rome and then they parade them and humiliate them. This is what our Lord did. He disarmed principalities and powers. Every principality, he disarmed them. Listen, every sickness, every disease has a name. And every sickness and disease with a name has a superior. They are called powers. And every power has a superior. They're called principalities. And every principality has a superior. He's called Satan. And all of them were disarmed. 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 By what our Lord did on the cross. Listen to me. You have no idea what has been purchased for you and I. 
That's why the lake of fire can't harm us. We will be able to tread through the lake of fire and not be harmed. The second death has no power over those who are the redeemed. But that lake, even Satan himself is afraid of it. But in your resurrected body, it has no power over you. You can walk through that lake and there's no power. You need to thank God for your Lord Jesus Christ. And then, and then on the cross, what he did for us was this. He defeated death. By dying, he defeated death. What a mystery. Hebrews chapter 2, 14 and 15. And as much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Through death, he destroyed the devil. Listen, through death, he destroyed the devil. And he destroyed his power, the power of death. Death was the trump card of Satan. Death meant this. Every soul that died, righteous and unrighteous, they had to go into Hades. Now, in Hades, there was a compartment for the righteous who couldn't be touched. But the righteous could not be reconciled to God. So Satan, even though the righteous were protected in paradise, they couldn't be joined to God the Father because Satan was king. Then our Lord Jesus died on the cross. And the Bible said that when he died, after he, after he died, the Bible says he descended to the lowest parts of Hades. And in that place, it was a place called Tartarus. He proclaimed his victory to the spirits who had been in prison since Noah's day. Told them, you see, listen, you tried to pollute the genome of humanity, but I am here and I have conquered and you are doomed. Then after that, he went into um, paradise, which was also in Hades, and took all the righteous dead. Now, when you read your Bible, you will discover that on on Easter Sunday morning, what happened was this. All the righteous dead resurrected. That were in Hades. They all resurrected. And showed themselves to the inhabitants in Jerusalem for quite a few days. Joined before the Lord ascended. Oh, hallelujah. It's all in the Bible. It's all in your Bible. And what he was doing was he was showing to all principality and power, I have won. I have won. There is a psalm which says this. Lift up your heads, all you gates, and be ye lifted up, you ancient doors, and the king of glory will come in. Now, when you read that, most people don't understand what is happening there. When our Lord ascended, and all those saints ascended with him, heaven began to say, lift up your heads, gates of heaven. These saints were shouting, open, open to us. Because something was happening in heaven. Heaven was getting ready to coronate the son of man. That's what Daniel saw. That's what Daniel saw when they brought him before the Ancient of Days. And the Ancient of Days crowned and gave to him dominion. People like you and I became his inheritance. And that's why the gospel began to be preached. Are you listening to me? It's not about cars and houses and and dogs and things. I mean, nonsense. It's about enforcing the victory of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This is why we are here. This is why we are praying every day. In the morning and in the evening, we'll hit the afternoon. And one day, this church will have 24-7 prayer cover. And we will blast principalities and powers. I'm telling you. Yeah. That's what this thing is about. The healing ministry of our Lord. What he took for us on the cross. 
enables his ministry to continue. We'll continue this on Sunday. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Let us pray. I want to pray for you, first of all, if you are here and you don't know the Lord Jesus. You are here, you don't know the Lord Jesus. I want to pray for you. You want to give your heart to Jesus. I want to pray for you. You know that if you die today, you are not right with God. I want to pray for you. Or you've given your heart to Jesus before and you've turned away from him. But you're saying today you want to be right. I want to pray for you. As Enoch gets ready to lead us in the communion elements, communion service, I want to pray for you first. I don't want you to come to the front. But if you're saying to me, Joseph, I would like you to pray for me concerning this. I want you to raise your hands because I want to pray for you. That you want to come back to God or you want to give your life to Christ. Just raise your hand where you are quickly and I'll pray with you before we change anything else. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else quickly? God bless you. Anybody else quickly? I want to pray with you. You know that you are not right with God and you want to make it right just where you are right now. Just stand and let me pray with you quickly. Stand, don't be embarrassed. For every head bowed, every eye closed, and I'm going to pray with you. God bless you. Father, I want to thank you for these precious ones who are standing. I ask for your mercy and your grace to rest upon them. I ask that your Holy Spirit will right now empower them. Lord, to walk in the good of that which you have purchased for them on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Enoch. Amen. Let's give the Lord appreciation. Hallelujah.